What up? Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfond, and friends, these are the dog days. There is literally nothing going on in the NBA right now. My usual co-host, Joseph Cacharo, is on vacation, and so I'm in studio instead with my rec league running mate, Score NBA news editor, Will Seguir. Will, what's going on, man? Not much, my friend. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you, man. We, got, we, we have a big game of our own tonight, um, and this is how we while away the time while the NBA lies dormant. Spending a lot of time with you today, Wolf, on I... I it's a pleasure. What else could I say? <laughs> so while we're kind of in this dead zone, one thing did happen recently, which was that Vegas uh, came out with some over-under lines for the coming season. And I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for you, Will. I'm not a betting person. But I think this is just like a, a fun way to kind of bounce around the league and, and talk about some teams and where we sort of see them ending up, uh, at least as far as the regular season goes. So how I wanted to do this was uh, I want to have each of us pick out, and these are from the Las Vegas Westgate Superbook. Uh, I know there, there are a bunch of different lines out there from different books, but this is the one we're going to go with. And I want us each to pick five lines that we feel really confidently about, whether you know we feel like they're a little bit too low or too high, but ones that we would confidently bet either the over or the under on. And uh, we'll just sort of bounce around and talk about those teams and why they might be projected higher or lower than uh, we think they're going to end up. So, well, I'll start with you and let's do this in order of our confidence level. So tell me the line that you've got that you feel most confidently about, whether you're going over or under. If I'm going to pick one that I'm most confident about, I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets under 23 and a half wins. Okay. And when your best player is Terry Rozier, I just have a tough time picturing you getting 24 wins. I don't think their best player is Terry Rozier. Who, who are you going with? I mean, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a minute to think about this. Cody I, I, Zeller, Miles Bridges. Where are we leaning? Like They have a couple nice young pieces, but you lose Kemba, who's the only reason why you're even getting close to 41 wins every season. I think, okay, Batum's kind of washed at this point. I think he's mm-hmm. still probably better than Rozier. I think there's a chance that Miles Bridges will be better than Rozier this season. I can agree with that. I'm pretty high on Miles Bridges. I like him. Um, even though, what did you say? He played like ass in his rookie season? He, yeah, he wasn't ideal, but it's, it's not easy. It's I not mean, easy the, for the in-between game wasn't there, but... He's just got so many tools, right? Like if he if he can polish that handle a little bit and get to a point where he can kind of create his own shot, I, I just really like like his body is incredible. He is so athletic. I thought the jump shot looked okay in terms of just like the percentage that he hit and also his mechanics. He's got some fluidity to his game. I think he's got the potential to be a really terrific defender. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen right away or even ever, but I just I've been a fan of his and, and, and I think there's a lot of upside there. So that could happen for him this season. I mean, Malik Monk, I thought, especially at the start of last season, that he showed some flashes. Anyway, I guess my point is, even if Terry Rozier is their best player, like, they've got competent guys, right? Like, Cody Zeller is competent. Sure. Uh, Marvin Williams is competent. You know, MKG is competent. Like, and they're going to be really bad. Like, I picked them to finish with the worst record yeah. in the NBA. Yeah. 
But to say that you're the most confident about them going under and it's 23 and a half, that's pretty bold. I'm very, listen, I don't disagree with you. They have some NBA players on the roster and I actually like that they picked up a guy like PJ Washington. I think he's a guy that can come in and do a decent job as a rookie. Miles Bridges, like you said, who does have a pretty solid jumper and he's had a solid jumper since college. He showed some potential there. And if he, like you said, if he figures out a dribble, if he can get to the rim, nobody's going to stop him at the rim. The kid's a monster. I like Cody Zeller. I'm a big fan of his. I think he might have been their second best player last year next to Kemba. Um, But like, these aren't the kind of guys that you can use moving forward. Um, I really can picture them winning 17, 18 games. (laughs) And I just, I feel, I don't know. It's the odds are generally fairly accurate. Like they, they know the odds makers know what they're doing. And I just looked at this and I'm like, do I think they're going to crack the 20 win plateau? I don't, I don't, I don't believe that they are. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty strong on that one. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I was playing a little bit of devil's advocate. I sure. think really the problem is that as much as those guys I mentioned are super useful NBA players, those are guys who are valuable to a team that is good. And on a rebuilding team yes. where there isn't anybody who's going to really reliably create offense. I, you know, their utility, I think, is going to be somewhat blunted. And also, I think they're probably going to do everything they can to flip those guys if they have any opportunity That's to do it and true. get and get something in return. Because MKG is on an expiring deal. Uh, Marvin Williams on an expiring deal. Zeller, I think, has one year left after this. Batum's got a player option for yeah. $27 million he, next I'm season. I'm assuming but. he's going to stick with that. Um, yeah, just the, I think the that's drop, a safe assumption. Yeah, pretty fair. I think the drop-off from Kemba to Rozier is pretty significant, and Rozier is the kind of player that will try to take over an offense, whether it's a good or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just losing Kemba. They lost Jeremy Lamb, who could have been their best scorer this year. He could have been their go-to guy on offense yeah. with this he, to me, he roster. was their second best That's player. My, and I, I honestly, I forgot about Lamb for a second. I, I should have mentioned him as their second best player. He had a terrific year. He hit a couple huge game winners, including that ridiculous one against the Raptors. He had an extremely intriguing season last year, and I think he's going to be an extremely nice fit and a uh, temporary stop for the for the Pacers while uh, Old Depot recovers. But to have Rozier as your number one option because he's going to force his way into being that guy, and they paid him that way. That's just too scary for me. And, Shouts to Scary Terry, I yeah. guess. But I think we can both agree, regardless of whether they go over or under, uh, they're going to be real bad. Yeah, that's fair. The one that I, weirdly enough, feel most confident about is over on Minnesota, which is they're at 34 and a half. And I understand the Western Conference got better. And on paper, the Wolves didn't really get that much better. But they won 36 games last year. And that was after you know starting the season four and nine under the cloud of Jimmy Butler's domineering, uh, basically hostage situation. Entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think it was for them, but for us, sure. <laughs> On the outside. They won 36 games. And look, they were really good when Covington was healthy, right? Or maybe really good as a stretch, but they were good. Yes. And with yeah, him on the floor, argue. you know, they had a solidly positive scoring margin. I mean, you got another year of development for Towns. I have to believe. And look, I... I, I recognize that I was maybe a little bit slower to give up on Andrew Wiggins than most. <laughs> I, you know, have ultimately come to believe that he is not going to be the player I once thought he would be. But, all, but I have to believe be. yeah. that he can be better than he was last year. Because... It's a low bar. It just, like... 
and I, and so much of it, I think, is just like tweaking his role a little bit. Like, I do not want to see Andrew Wiggins messing around with the ball in his hands. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes, like, if he is attacking off the catch in a straight line drive, great. That is something he can do. He can shoot off the catch reasonably well, but he is a terrible off-the-dribble shooter. His handle is not good enough to get him past people and to the rim. His free throw rate has declined significantly, you know, pretty much since his rookie season. I would like to see him be a guy who is, you know, more of a stationary shooter, shooting more threes and fewer long twos, you know, attacking off of the catch and saving up his energy basically for the defensive end of the floor. I think in that role, look, he's never going to live up to the contract, right? I think we're done That's going to that, continue yeah. to be an albatross. Yeah. But in that role, I still believe that he can be a productive player, and I think he can be better than he was last season when I, he had a true shooting percentage of 49. Oof. <laughs> like, oof. he's just got to be better than that. <laughs> uh, but look, I mean, Towns is incredible, and... As long as he is there, I think the floor for this team is going to be pretty high. He is incredibly durable. So I'm not super it's, worried about him getting injured. And and look, I mean, like another year of development for Josh Okoji. Who I um, like a lot. They who, got Jarrett Culver. They got Jared Culver, who, yeah. you know, maybe, like a lot. maybe helps bolster them on the wing a little bit. Yeah. Again, Covington, if he comes back healthy from that knee injury. Who, like, Who are we starting at the four here? Covington? Or are we going with the Wiggins-Covington uh, two, three. Are we going with Noel Vonley at the four? Or are we going with Covington and starting Jarrett Culver? Vonley is a five to me. Yeah. Like, I know they've been just weird about the, their lineup combinations, right? Like, Towns has played the four predominantly for them. Sure, yeah. And I wonder whether that's sort of his preference or whether they see him more as a four. He yeah. can play the four. I think he's better suited to the five, personally, like... Not that he can't play the four. Obviously, he has the skill set. Of course. At least at one end of the floor. Yes, yes. I don't know if he could do anything defensively at the four or the five. He's going to struggle well, in yeah. certain aspects regardless. I mean, he's always been a better defender in theory than he has been Definitely. in reality, right? Definitely. And there were stretches last season when he did play the five, and he was just spending his time basically playing the drop in the pick and roll, and yeah. he was very good at that. Yeah, and, and I, I think, think a part of that had to do with Robert Covington's presence. It who was, absolutely who was significant for his development on the defensive end. So I'm, I'm, that's one of the reasons why I agree with the over, by the way. It's having uh, Rocco there as, as a defensive ace. Yeah. It's key, but yeah, sorry. No, continue. I just think they won 36 last year, and the idea of having, uh, you know, hopefully something close to a full season from Covington. And maybe they flip Covington because if Culver is the guy they think he's going to be, mm-hmm. Wiggins, we assume, is not going to be movable on his deal. Not yet, at least. We know that... They were interested in signing D'Angelo Russell. And I think if it, you know, if December 15th rolls around and the experiment in Golden State is not going swimmingly, I think Covington would be a wonderful fit in Golden Ooh, State. And I love it. And I, I honestly, I, I can't say for sure whether that makes the Wolves better or worse. I, you know, their point guard situation is not great. No. So. Maybe that proves to be an upgrade. Maybe they have a move to make midseason. I just think 34.5 seems really low for them, yeah. um, even given how competitive the West is going to be. I do, weirdly enough, I feel like most people aren't too high on Russell for obvious reasons, but I do, weirdly enough, like that. I like Russell with Cat. It, it's it's That's fun a nice pick and roll combo. It's very nice. It's exploitable defensively. 100%. <laughs> definitely. I don't think anybody's debating that. Uh, but they do need to upgrade from Jeff Teague. I was hoping they would bring back Tyus. I was very disappointed to let Tyus walk. 
I don't uh, understand that. It made no sense. I mean, he was... He does not get you the numbers, but he impacts the floor on both ends. He is extremely efficient with the ball in his hands. He does not turn the ball over. You can give the ball like he can he can he can be your primary point guard. He's going to do a solid job. And defensively, he's an absolute pest. He's an ace. And they yeah. need that. You have a guy like him next to Rocco, if that's your starting uh one in 3 or 4, whatever you want to call it, Rocco, that is outstanding defensively and that makes up for a lot of deficiencies that Cat has and that Wiggins has. Uh, Culver is supposed to be a solid defender, so if you want to throw him out there as well, what do you mean supposed to be? You're the draft expert here, man. Tell well, me. I don't. I don't know yet. We got to see what these guys. He's still 20 years old, 21 years old. We got to. I, I want to give him some time before <laughs> I guarantee anything. But I like Culver defensively. I like what he can do on offense. I, I think he has a lot of potential, and I would be a lot higher on them if they kept Tyus. But I think 34 and a half is way too low. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, and I just think look, they had a very unsexy offseason, but some of their like kind of lower end minimum salary signings, I really like. I mean, Vonley, the fact that he signed for the minimum was shocking to me. I was definitely extremely shocked. Because I agree. You know, he was quite good last year. Uh, really showed that he could be like a bit of a switch defender, um, but a very solid interior defender, yeah. certainly. And a guy who really extended his range, became a was, reliable three-point shooter. Was he not one of the Knicks' best players last year? Without a doubt. Like, I mean, again, as, you know, to, to damn him with faint praise, <laughs> yes. But... I think that's a really nice pickup at the minimum. And Jake Lehman, man. Like, J- Jake Lehman was... I know he was out of the rotation come playoff time, and they didn't seem to miss him too much. Yeah. But, you know, to me, he was a big part of how Portland remodeled their offense. Like, they became such an active cutting team. Yeah. Jake Lehman is an excellent cutter. He is. He is athletic. Um, and he, he just like has a really good nose, I think, for space. He cuts in a timely fashion. Like, he played so well off of Nurkic. And I think they're really going to like having him there. And I I expect him to play well off of Cat. And I hope that we see a little some of that in Minnesota's offense, too, where it's not just Towns, you know, playing pick and pop or being used as a floor spacer, but actually operating around the elbow, taking advantage of his passing ability, which, granted, is, you know, is not up to Nurkic's level, but he can pass. Mm You know, I think the Timberwolves could use a little bit more creativity in their offense. I think we can both agree with that. But I, I like the collection of talent here. And again, I would agree with you that the point guard spot is it's a, scary. Yeah. a bit of a concern. But above 34 and a half, I feel pretty confident. That's fair. That. That's fair. All right. What's next? Let's see. You know what? I'm going to roll with the Blazers over 46 and a half as my number two. Okay. And I just... It's one of those things where I see Portland every single year surpass my expectations and I'm kind of sick of myself (laughs) picking the under for them or whatever it usually is. Um, I usually see them as like, oh yeah, they'll win 43, 44 games. Maybe they'll get an eighth seed. I picked them to miss the playoffs last year. I did too. I'm I'm as guilty of this as anybody. And where were they? They made the Western Conference Finals. They, I I can't even say that they overachieved. They looked really good last year. I, I... 46 and a half sounds reasonable, but like this is going to end up being a 48 to 50 win team. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong again about them, but uh, getting Whiteside, I thought that was actually a really good move. I mean, they gave up on Leonard. You thought it was a good move because you're a Heat fan. Hold up, hold up. (laughs) Let me defend this. Okay. If anybody knows me, they know I'm I'm generally pretty anti-Whiteside. But if you need a temporary Nurkic replacement while he recovers... You have a guy now that's a pretty solid rim protector. And the numbers defended him as well. 
He did a solid job last year coming off the bench for the Heat in a more limited role. I think if you put him with shooters, like he's asking for, we got shooters, you screaming it as soon as the trade happened. I think he's in a position He's in a position to succeed now. Uh, you still have Dame. Dame got his money. CJ got his money. They're happy in Portland. Uh, I didn't like the uh, the uh, the Harkless loss. I didn't like the Aminu loss. I think their wing situation is going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, I'm intrigued by his own. Every I don't like know why. three, every three four that they had, every guy that they could have had All to conceivably gone. guard, like a big yeah. small forward yeah. or power forward, yeah, they lost. Yes, but they they're did. looking at starting Zach Collins at the four, I believe. And I'm a little concerned by that. A little, a little concerned. I do like the Anthony Tolliver pickup. I feel like that's a little <laughs> Come underrated. On. Come on, Anthony Tolliver is not. He's a pretty he's a pretty decent impact player in spot minutes. He can hit. He can hit threes. He's a decent defender. Mm-hmm. I I understand he does not look the part. Um, I did not mind the Kent Bazemore pickup. Anthony Simons is going to play a bigger role for them this year, and he looked terrific in summer league. Does that mean it's going to translate? No. They're really high on, but Simons. they're really really high on him, and I understand why. He's extremely talented. He gives you a gifted scorer off the bench, and I, I like bringing back Rodney Hood on the cheap. And he's usually a disappointment. He's usually the guy that's like, man, they got Rodney Hood. That's great. And he doesn't perform. But for the, Blazers, for the Blazers last year, he did well in a short time there. So I think they have an interesting group of, uh, of players to pretty much you're just relying on CJ and Dame to dominate again. And that's all you really need to do. Um, look, I, I didn't actually mind the white side pickup either. Yeah. Just because who knows when Nurkic is going to be back? Who knows what he's going to look like when he does come back? They needed somebody else in the middle. Mm-hmm. And just seeing what they did with Ennis Cantor as their full-time center in the playoffs gives me a lot of faith that they're going to be able to figure it out with Whiteside Definitely. there. Who, you know, I think his numbers tend to oversell his value at the defensive end, but he's unquestionably a better interior defender than Ennis Cantor is. I think they lose a lot at the offensive end there, but... You know, I think that's something they can survive. And, and I agree that the Bazemore move was a great one. I mean, swapping out Evan Turner, whose skill set was frankly superfluous yeah. with this team he's, that has two he's fantastic ball handlers. He's a big point guard. That's If he's not going to have the ball in his hands, he's useless to you. Right, so like yeah, he's the right move. I mean, he's a decent cutter, but like sure. he, he's not spacing the floor. No. Like He doesn't have a ton of off-ball utility. So I think... I think Bazemore is, you know, if not necessarily a one-for-one upgrade in a vacuum, certainly a much better fit in Portland. And I can definitely see them hitting the over. I don't think I would say it with confidence as you are now. (laughs) You know, they wouldn't be one of my five locks, I guess, as we're calling these. But I've just been disappointed by them overachieving that I don't want to just pick them to underachieve. (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I I really am worried about what they're going to do at the four spot. Yeah. I really see... Collins is a five and I know I agree like he he played some four in the playoffs he definitely like defensively at least showed that he can kind of hang at that spot yeah that's not his full-time position it just isn't and they got to find some other solution there that is not Anthony Tolliver it's like I I enjoy Anthony Tolliver he's a perfectly fine player but that cannot be your answer I I agree with that but if he's going to give you 15 to 20 minutes a game it's not the worst thing in the world he's he's still an effective player but I, I know exactly what you mean. That four spot, similar to the Wolves one, is definitely a, a giant question mark. And look, if if Nurkic comes back, say sometime around Christmas, and he's, you know, the player that he was last year, yeah, giddy up. I mean, yep. this is this team can jump into the conversations being one like a top Kevin, four seed. Kevin Love trade. 
or Kevin, Kevin Love, Love trade, trade, man. You know, you I talk about it. them needing a four. Yep. This is the trade that is always seemingly on the table or the one that everybody wants to That's see what it happen. it feels like, at least, right? They have the salaries to match, too. They could figure it out. Yeah. What can you tell me about Nasir Little? All right. Nasir Little, who played for my North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, I was definitely a little disappointed with him last year. Uh, you, you have high expectations for a freshman coming in. He was a top five ranked recruit. Uh, and he, he just didn't seem like he had the full package yet. And he's, he's definitely a raw prospect, but there's no way he should have dropped to 25. Is he going to impact the Blazers this year? Probably not. He might need to get some minutes at the four. Uh, he's more than capable. He's a big, bulky six foot seven, six foot six uh, forward. He could play either forward spot. He's fully capable of knocking down the three. He just didn't show it last year. It was a little heartbreaking to see. But I, I, that was one of his big things coming in is he's a capable shooter. So if the Blazers can get him to become a 35% shooter, I would actually consider him getting some strong minutes at the four. And he could be like that young difference maker and you could start developing him. But I just I don't see him coming in that early. I think it's just a little too soon for him, unfortunately, because he just seemed so raw as a freshman in college. Right. Well, I mean, there's a possibility he'll just get pressed into duty because it's possible. You know, nobody else can really hang at that spot. And Definitely. If nothing else, I think he may be able to jump Mario Hazonia on the depth chart, but <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, for me, the one I'm second most confident in is I'm feeling pretty good about the Celtics under. They're set at 49 and a half. That's way too high. I don't think it's out of the question that they win more games than they won last year, even though I think on paper they got significantly worse. Yes. We know that Brad Stevens, you know, has a tendency to overachieve when he has these kind of scrappy teams that shouldn't be good. Maybe with a different kind of leader, a different voice in the locker room, you know, swapping out Kyrie for Kemba, that just gets everybody back on the same page. I mean, there's always the chance, too, that this is the year that Jason Tatum takes the leap, the leap that we expected to see from him last year. Yes. And then we're telling a totally different story. And I mean, Gordon Hayward, another huge X factor, like... Last season, is that just what he is now? Or another year removed from that injury, is he going to creep closer to being the guy that he was before he got hurt? There are a lot of things that could nudge their ceiling considerably higher. The thing that I'm looking at is just their front court got decimated this offseason. Atrocious. Right? Oh my, they have no rim protection whatsoever. And I'm a little terrified of Enos Cantor being your five, and I would be okay with it. If you had a four that could do something. So if you're plugging in Enos Cantor and you have Horford next to him, I'm like, all right, I can survive this. I still have Al Horford, but he's gone and he's gone for nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, they had a good draft, but do you really want to be playing three solid rookies? How is that? Is that going to put you over the edge? Is that going to get you 50 wins? Probably not. Right. Uh, Kemba, I think, is a fit upgrade to Kyrie. I think he suits what Brad Stevens wants to do. I think he's going to be a better fit next to those young stars. I think Jalen Brown's going to enjoy playing with him more. I think Marcus using Smart's stars gonna... pretty loosely there, but sure, fair, <laughs> fair. I think uh, I think J- uh, Jason Tatum's going to like playing with him more. He just he suits what they're trying to do, and plus he's a personality fit as well. He's a locker room fit as well. But going from Al Horford to Enos Cantor is on both ends of the floor just not good. Yeah, I mean this is interesting because. W- we really could be about to witness a test case for how much that locker room stuff matters, right? And Definitely. I think it's just always so hard to know how much to value it. We're not 
spending time with these teams every day like we don't know how much Definitely. the sort of dynamic affects the psyche of every player on the team and like how much bad juju might affect how they play on the court for us i think you know we try to analyze based on what we can see and things that are tangible and you know i said this coming into last season about the bucks right like that was a situation where you had a clear-cut line of demarcation from one plainly inept coaching staff to another that we expected to be considerably better. And what I said was, look, this is going to be a litmus test for how much coaches can really change, how much they oh, matter. Definitely. And I think we saw that. Yep. And I think this, this could be another one of those situations, right? Yep. Um, and maybe there will be a lot of other factors at play, just like there were with the Bucks, right? Where so many other things had to happen in order for that team to get to where it was. It wasn't just the coaching change. Yeah. The same thing could be true of Boston, whether it's Hayward getting back to being the guy that he was before, whether it's Tatum making the leap. But I think ultimately, you know, if they overachieved this year, given how much they underachieved last year, yeah. a lot of it, at least in the way that, you know, we in the media talk about it, is going to circle back to, well, Brad you know, Stevens. <laughs> Bradley, but more so, I think, like Kemba Walker, right? <laughs> sure. And sure. how much a guy like that yeah. coming in and replacing, you know, what appeared to be a sort of toxic presence in Kyrie. Uh, can make a difference. Definitely, definitely. I do like, um, like I was mentioning before, I do like the rookie situation. I think them getting Carson Edwards is an absolute steal. I just, I want everybody to watch for this kid when he comes out and he has like that random 30-point game every once in a while because he's more than capable. He's he's a, he's a bit of a rocket. Like he could just come out, chuck threes from 35 feet and drill them. And he's an interesting piece on that roster. And I, I like mm-hmm. the Grant Williams pickup as well. I just I think they're in a good position with some young talent. Uh, I think they have a nice, bright future. Right now, to say they're going to win over 40, 49 and a half is it just it feels like a major stretch. Yeah, and my feeling about that is just like this team has thrived on its defense for the last several years, right? And that is what has propelled them to the top of the Eastern Conference Definitely. year after year. And a lot of the guys who made that possible are still there. You know, Marcus Smart being one of them. Uh, Jalen Brown being another, but like, man, Horford was the guy who made it all work, and it, and key. and Aaron Baines was a big part of that too. And to swap those guys out for, for you know for Ennis Cantor basically, <laughs> yeah. and to have Tice be your backup, yeah, that would worry me. And I, I just don't think like the, I, I think they're going to take a significant step back defensively. And Are so we like, ready to can give they... Robert Williams minutes? <laughs> I, he's going to have to play. He might right? be their best defensive option. Right. So, I mean, I guess they could try and go super small with like semi Ojale at the five or yeah. something to that effect. But yeah, I just, I, I think they're going to take a significant step back defensively and can they, can they cobble together 50 wins if they can't hang their hat on their defense? That's what I'm not sure of. Yeah. I can't picture it. The one thing that might tilt the scales is if they manage to make an in-season trade and you know, one that I've heard thrown out there that really fascinates me is the possibility of tra- trading Jalen Brown to Indiana oh, for, for Sabonis. I love it. Because Indiana really needs wings. Like, they really need a guy like Jalen Brown. And they Brown. don't need bigs. And they are stocked, <laughs> you know, in the front court. So, th- there are ways, I think, that the Celtics can maneuver their way. I mean, Marcus Ole is another one that I've pointed out is I think, you know, if the Raptors are yeah. hovering around or below 500, they're going to be looking to move Gasol. He's a guy who I think could really help the Celtics. 100%. They will have ways, I think, to upgrade that situation, um, and that could ultimately take them to the over. But for now, I'm feeling pretty good about the under. 
What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download the Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. All right, what's your next one? Let's roll with the Lakers over 49 and a half, just because I cannot imagine LeBron not winning 50 games this year after last year's debacle. You just got Anthony Davis. They were looking like they were going to be on pace for 50 wins before the injury last year. Uh, Sure, you got rid of the young core. You got some decent replacements, but more important than anything else, you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. And if those two can play 70 games, you're going to win 50. It's a mighty big if. I mean, that's. I think that's what you're hedging against, sure. right? And we're, obviously... We're if, expecting healthier, right? Right. Well, are we? I mean, we're basing it on precedent. So sure. I think that, that certainly is something you have to factor into these projections. And... You know, 49 and a half. Look, if you're assuming that both those guys play basically fully healthy seasons, yeah, I think it's an easy over. But I think that 49 and a half is a hedge, not just against them like missing time with injuries, but also just being load managed. Sure. You know, to avoid exactly that. Of course. Of course. And I think there's a decent chance that I'm not saying they, they punt the regular season, but they're not playing for the regular season. No, you no, know, and as long not. as they make it into the playoffs, I feel like they go into the playoffs with. Those two guys healthy, they can feel pretty good about their chances of making it to the finals. In so. the West, you can't take a risk and not win that 50 if you're the Lakers, though. Right, but it's you not still, like they're going into the season knowing exactly. Like, it's no, going to be on a, on a sort of, of course. case-by-case basis. And that's, that's definitely true. But you're not going to tinker around. And load management's going to happen. It's inevitable. But there are too many teams that can randomly just bust out and win 48 to 50 uh, games this year in the Western Conference. You can't take that risk. So there will be times where they rest, but how many, and of course, like you said, case by case, but how many times are they going to rest? And I think right now, LeBron might be the freshest we've seen in a long time because he didn't make the finals this, uh, this past season. He didn't even make the playoffs this year. And he finally had an extra three months of rest. And that's not something we're used to seeing from him. Mm-hmm. Of course, again, this is just something we have to Go in and see what's going to happen with LeBron. We can't guarantee that he's not going to get hurt. He just He's coming off his worst injury of his career. But at the end of the day, it's still LeBron. Is he going to be the best player in the NBA? Probably not. I think those days are officially done. But is he probably still a top five or six? I think that's safe to say. And Anthony Davis is right there as well. So I think 50 is, is pretty safe. But of course, again, they need to stay at least relatively healthy. So here's a question, a couple of questions that I have. Outside of the concerns about just depth and health, okay. right? Who is going to take some of that ball handling responsibility off of LeBron's shoulders? That's my big concern. And people are going to be like, oh, Rajon Rondo's there. I mean, it's not the same. It's not the same. Like, that all. is the answer. And that, <laughs> of course, and that is of scary. Course. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm completely on board with that. Like, your other point guards are Quinn Cook, who's mostly just a spot up shooter. Um, you can maybe run Avery Bradley at the one. That's a terrible idea. But yeah, it has to be Rondo is the only other one that could kind of give you minutes as a point guard. Maybe DeMarcus Cousins wants to play point center again, but I can't, like you could run an offense through old DeMarcus Cousins, but I don't know if you could do that anymore with this guy. 
Uh, and that's unfortunate to say, because I mean, if obviously if this roster is a prime roster, this is a 82 win team, <laughs> but that's just simply not the case. Uh, but yeah, like it has to be Rondo, right? Who else would you even consider rolling with? There's nobody else that can do much for you, right? Right. So that's uh, that. That's my probably my biggest concern, and my second biggest concern would be, you know, who is their point of attack defender at the other end of the floor? Yeah. Like Avery Bradley, I guess, but I feel like he's been slipping on that end for a while, and I don't know what else he can defend besides point guards. I mean, I, I wouldn't even want him on two. And or even defending point guards, I just don't like. I think he was elite at that at that at thing for a while. With Boston, yeah. At this point, I don't know. And I yeah. mean, Rondo hasn't been good defensively for at least a half decade. LeBron, playoffs, I least. mean, LeBron's regular season defense is a travesty. Honestly, it's at this point in time, depressing. Yes, and that's just. That's leaving a lot on Anthony Davis's shoulders, man. Like he is going to have to put out so many fires on the back end. Yeah. And similar to how I think it's going to put a lot of strain on LeBron to have to carry so much of the ball handling duty on offense, I think it's going to put a lot of strain on AD defensively, just having to paper over. Uh, I mean, Danny Green, like as an on-ball guy, yeah, like tackling like number one perimeter assignment every night, which he's, he's going to have really to do. Never really done that before. He's always relied on others to do that. He's, I mean, he's spent his entire career with Kawhi, right? <laughs> like, well, yeah. pretty much, but. Um, no, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And I think that's one thing that scares me as well as the defensive end. Um, I mean, the good thing is you have a couple solid rim protectors. You have Anthony Davis and you have JaVale McGee. So you could survive there. But in terms of actual perimeter defense, you're, you might be SOL there. Yeah, so those, you know, those are the two things that concern me. And I think, look, those might be issues and they might still win 50 or more games yeah. because... Talent beats all. Well, <laughs> and time, I just right? think I wouldn't be surprised if this was the number one offense in the league. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you are the best offense in the league, like you can win 50 games. Yeah, it's possible. Um, as long as your defense isn't a total train wreck. Oh, yeah. So I think I'm in agreement with the over. Again, I don't know if I would go ironclad on that, but, <laughs> uh, but I can definitely see the rationale. Because offensively, like, yeah, they're going to be fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. So I'm going to say I feel pretty good about going under on Milwaukee. And I'm just saying that because the line is very high. It's at 58 and a half. That's a ton of wins. I still think the Bucks are the best team in the East. I would probably call them a top two title contender. So, I, you know, again, like I wouldn't be at all surprised if they went over that number. It's just like they won 60 last year. They lost a crucial member of their rotation in Malcolm Brogdon. And they were also, like, just very, very healthy last year, right? Like, they had a lot of stuff go right for them. Un I know, Unrealistically healthy. Yeah. And, yeah. I, like, you know, Brogdon got hurt Up at the end the of the year. Injury, yeah. But, you know, you look at the rest of the roster, and it's like, you know, Giannis was pretty much healthy the entire time. Middleton missed five games. Bledsoe missed four. Brooke Lopez played 81 games. <laughs> yeah. They just didn't really ever suffer any major injuries. And, you know, the Brogdon thing was untimely, but ultimately he still played 64 games. So I don't know if they can bank on that again. And, like, that was a huge driver of their success. So what gets them to 59 wins, right? I'm thinking about that. Assuming that they don't have quite the injury luck that they had last year. Here, oh, sorry. Continue. No, I, I'm, I'm asking you. Oh, okay. So my, my big thing with the Bucks is I, I'm in agreement with you. I do think it's the under on that one. 
I, I don't think it's that. Like 58 and a half is just a huge it is, number. It's too, it's too high. I don't know if it's a lock. Like they could be a 59, 60 win team. Uh, Giannis is just that good. Uh, one of my concerns is how much better can Giannis get? We're not talking massive steps anymore with him. We're talking incremental steps, just yeah. little tiny things that he's going to improve on. How well, if you ask wins? him, he's only at 60% of his capabilities. Is, so. If he's being honest about that, that's nuts. But I highly doubt that's true. The guy's elite already. Uh, but there's only so many things that he can get better at at this point. And how many wins is that going to amount to? Especially losing such an insanely efficient guy like Brogdon. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some of their moves. I don't mind the Wes Matthews thing. My big problem with Wes Matthews is at this point in his career, He's kind of just a guy. He's, he's kind of a floor spacer. He can hit the three. Yeah. But sometimes he thinks he's the number one option on offense. And I don't like that. Like the Bucks played so fluidly last year. They were so smooth in a lot of the ways that they played offense. My, my counter to that would be, first of all, they don't really need... This is the beauty of the Bucks, right? Yeah. Like Giannis is a system unto himself. Of course. I think Buttonholzer gave their offense so much structure and these organizing principles that really opened things up for yeah. everybody. Like, if you're Wes Matthews, you are going to a team that just won 60 games and came within spitting distance better, of the he finals. follow along. <laughs> you know, I, like, he can't go in there expecting yeah. that he's going to do whatever he wants or he's going to be out of the rotation. I yeah. think he probably knows that. Yeah. And I think he knows what they need from him, which is just, you know, defend twos and threes to the best of your abilities, which yeah. I think he's, you know, he's still, he's still probably yeah. solidly above average, yeah. honestly. And hit spot-up threes, which... He remains very good at. And one thing that might get them over is the fact that they have a lot of shooting still. Yeah. They have a lot. I mean, they just got Corver as well. I don't care how old Corver is. He could play until he's 47. He's still knocking down threes. Right. Corver won't help in the playoffs, but it'll help in the regular exactly. season for sure. Exactly. He's going to have that one like 25-point game where everybody goes nuts. It mm-hmm. happens every year. Kyle Corver can still shoot threes. That's, a, that's an obvious one. They they just like have a little bit less insurance, I guess. Without Brogdon there, sure. it's like, what insurance do they have against a Chris Middleton injury, right? Who else do they have at the two? I do like a full year of George Hill there, though. I do like that. And he was huge for them in the playoffs. I don't know if he's going to... I don't know how much of an impact he'll have on the regular season. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he he's he's still an effective player. Um, you might be relying too much on Bledsoe now. Uh, he, he was amazing last year he became all of a sudden he became the like one of the best yeah, until the playoffs exactly <laughs> yeah. became one of the best defenders in the nba out of nowhere like he's always kind of been an underachiever on that end but um yeah i just the brogdon loss you have a guy that can defend three positions uh 50 40 90 guy like that's that might be a little much and that might be the thing that kind of brings them down to around 55 to 57 wins yeah I, they just had a bunch of guys who had career years last year and that yeah. always makes me a bit wary yeah uh and brooke lopez is one of those guys yeah. like is he going to be able to replicate the season that he had last year? Because he was phenomenal at oh, both yeah. ends of the floor. And, um, you know, if they can get that kind of production out of him again, I, I would feel pretty good about going over Definitely. 58 and a half. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. And, I mean, I guess it ultimately it just does come down to Giannis. And you're saying he doesn't have that many areas to improve. I don't know that I actually agree with that. I think it's actually astonishing how good he's managed to get given the limitations that he has. We'll say shooting. That's... Well, it's not just the shooting, though. It's like it's the in-between stuff. Like, he sure. doesn't really have a post game. He doesn't really have That's a floater. Fair. If he just He doesn't need to shoot threes, right? Like, he doesn't need to be bombing pull-up jumpers. If he can just nail down that in-between stuff, like... If he had that floater in his bag, if he had a post game, I think they win that series against the Raptors and very likely win a championship. There's so. a few of those misses around the basket where he was kind of just charging through and he just didn't have the right move. And right, or times that, when yeah. he gets stuck in no man's land and yeah. wouldn't even look at the basket just yeah. because he, he didn't have it in his bag. So 
We'll see, man. I I know, like that guy is a crazy worker, and I, and I do expect him to come back better next season. Mm-hmm. But I think the big question, like he's in his prime, and the question with that is always, okay, like he has areas of his, of his game that he can work on and improve, but can he make those improvements while he is still at his athletic peak and yeah. while he is still like a defensive terror? Yeah. Or is that stuff going to basically come at the expense of things he can do at the other end of the floor? Are other skills going to start to erode before he can put the entire package together? And I mean, it, it's kind of similar with LeBron, right? Like LeBron kept adding stuff to his game, but at the same time, stuff kind of kept getting taken away. So he was never like at the peak of his offensive and defensive powers at the same time. Yeah. And Giannis might be able to get there because he is still super young and he the exponential rate at which his game has grown. It's pretty ridiculous. You know, makes me feel like he could be the best player in the league for the next five years. Yeah. It's tough to it's tough to debate. But I'm still going under fifty eight and a half. Fair. Um, fair. all right, what's your next team? Uh, let's roll with the Bulls over thirty three and a half. Wow. So you're that confident in them going over. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls have sucked for a long time. Uh, they sure have. Outside of Derrick Rose, they really haven't had anything. <laughs> and then Derrick Rose got hurt, and then they've been the Bulls ever since. And yeah, I just I, I like their off uh, their offseason a lot. I like the Sadoransky pickup a lot. It's such a weirdly intriguing one because it's kind of, they're bridging the gap between, all right, we have nothing right now because we can't really play Kobe White full time, but in a few years we can. So let's bring in this very veteran savvy player that's you know he's replaced John Wall effectively for all these years let's bring him in for a few years and then eventually we can roll on to Kobe White they brought in Thaddeus Young Thaddeus Young is a solid player on both ends of the floor does he start I don't think he does I think he's going to sit behind Laurie who should take a step forward this year he spent most of the year last year injured mm-hmm. uh, I just think they have an excellent like a very intriguing uh, mixture of young players and some solid vets like these well have- so sorry if if he, if that is coming off the bench to back up Markin, who's yeah. starting at the five? I'm going with Wendell Carter. Okay, so I you, think, you I see think, him as more yeah. of a five than a four. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I do. I do think Wendell is. He's going to be an excellent. Right. Uh, so I think like what I like about that front court, mm-hmm. and I like teams that have front court combinations like this. Yeah, is that you can mix and match. Like you can slide Markin in up to the five and play him with that. Yeah, you can. I mean. It depends, I guess, whether the the shot comes around for Carter, but conceivably you could play him and Thad together in the front court, and defensively that could be really stout. Like, I think you have the all like all basically the combinations that you can play helicopter with, and I like that mm-hmm. because you can throw a lot of different looks at teams. Yeah, you can go offense, you can go defense, and they can go that's small just ball, one they of the, can go big ball. Right, they got it all. That's just one of those guys who does a little bit of everything. Yeah. He does so much dirty work. I thought last season was his best defensive season. Two through four, he can guard pretty much anybody. He can guard it on the perimeter. He can guard in the post. He gets his hands in passing lanes. Like, I think he'll do wonders for them at that end of the floor. And, you know, Sadoransky, like, I still don't love their point guard situation. It's not ideal. Not, um, not yet, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, where does this leave Chris Dunn? Like, they're just trying to I think trade Chris him Dunn at this is point? Done. Yeah. I think he's actually. I think it's over. <laughs> the just like that. Yeah, the experiment's over. He's been really bad for them the last few years. He's he's shown signs of his potential, but he's, he's like, a great defender. Like he I, is. There's no reason he can't be a backup point guard I think in this league. He needs to be more of a Marcus Smart, more of a temporary point guard option as a backup, 
giving him like maybe five, 10 minutes a game at most with the ball in his hands. And that's the maximum giving him. I'd rather have the ball in Sadoransky's hands. I'd rather have the ball in Kobe White's hands. The problem is they have a lot of tweener guys. They have a lot of combo guards that aren't really necessarily full-time ones. Mm-hmm. And I think Sadoransky's one of those guys. I think uh, Kobe White's one of those guys. I think Chris Dunn's one of those guys. But of the three, in terms of playmaking, Chris Dunn's probably the worst. Defensively, I think he could be elite if he stays healthy. And I think if he's converted into that Marcus Smart role, he would easily impact the game so much better if he's relied upon less on the offensive end. He's not going to really give you shooting. He's not going to give you passing. But defensively, he could be absolutely terrific. So, I mean, maybe he's just more of a two than a one. Sure. And I think that's possible. I, he could defend three positions pretty easily. Absolutely. I just, I don't know how you're going to use him. And I think the Bulls have kind of given up on him. And I think they're ready to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think stick with the guy. Let him play the two for you. Let him be that backup. And let him just come in and rough up the, op- the opposition. Uh, he'd do a terrific job in that role. And they need defense in the perimeter. If he's going to be backing up Zach Levine... It's Zach Levine will give you some solid offense, but he's not going to really do much for you defensively. You need a guy that's going to back him up, that's going to give you something on the defensive end. And I think Chris Dunn at least gives you that. But from the sounds of it, they might be finished with Chris Dunn. Maybe they'll send him back to Minnesota. You know, again, <laughs> another team that could use a point of attack defender. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And like we said, it was kind of weak at the point guard spot. Definitely. Uh, he'd be a good backup for them. For sure. Yeah, with the Bulls, I, I feel pretty good about the over, actually. I, you know, they played pretty well after they traded for Porter last season. And I just, he makes their roster make so much more sense than it did before. Significantly, yeah. Like, they just didn't have any wing defense they had before no three at all. With, yeah. And, you know, he's Jabari like, last year at the three. What were they thinking? Yeah. So, so I do like this. He, I just think he gives them pretty much everything that they needed at yeah. that spot. Um, I, I do think the Bulls end up in that uh, probably, probably 10th spot in the East. I think they end up with like 35 to 37 wins. Yeah, I just I'm like not a huge Zach Levine fan, and that's the thing that kind of sours one, me on this team a bit. One thing he could but... give you is at least some instant offense. He could he could be a number one guy on a mediocre team, and at the end of the day, even if we're picking the over on the Bulls, they're still a mediocre team. Right. But they should, I think, with him as a number one option, giving them offense, mm. and you still have Laurie as probably your best player. That theoretically should be at least a 35 ish win team. Right. So Chicago and Atlanta both set at 33 and a half. You feel yep. better about the Chicago I do. over than I do. Atlanta I'm a little over. concerned about some things with Atlanta defensively, but yeah. yeah, I think the Bulls have a few more pieces that can help. Um, my next team is Denver, and I feel pretty good about taking the over at 52 and a half. I know that's a pretty high number, and Denver hasn't proven a whole heck of a lot, but for a team that dealt with a ton of injuries last year and still managed to come out with 54 wins... One of the few teams this year that's banking on continuity, you know, basically two-thirds of the league got turned over. And I think there are going to be so many teams that are figuring it out, figuring out how to play with each other. And I think in the regular season, there's a lot of value in bringing back a core group of guys that is very comfortable playing together. Like Denver, it's not just about bringing back the same group of guys. Like the way they play together, they feel each other out. Like they, they all play so well off of Jokic and the anticipation that they play with, the way that they move the ball. If they stay healthy, that's a team that could push for like high 50s wins. I'm, and I'm to, in agreement. To me, 52 yeah. and a half, like honestly, the only thing that I feel like could really derail that is Jokic getting injured. That hasn't happened for him yet in his career. I think they're deep enough at every other position that, you know, even suffering an injury to one of those guys in their starting rotation isn't going to kill them. So if Jokic misses a week or two, their front court's still really good. Is it good enough to make up for his production? Probably not. But 
Like they just picked up Jeremy Grant. That's an awesome pickup. That's yeah. a legit three and D four. Like he's going to be the guy that takes over for Paul Millsap when his contract's done. But Paul Millsap's still an impactful player, you know. And Mason Plumlee's still like he's he's been solid for them. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the minutes of uh, the Jokic and Plumlee minutes. I'm not crazy about those, but they were crazy effective last year. I'm not a fan of it's so weird to me. I it's weird. I I wasn't a believer in it when I started seeing it, but. The numbers don't lie. I mean, in the playoffs, it was a different story. Yeah. During the regular season? I guess so, yeah. Phenomenal net rating, phenomenal defensive rating. And I think the reason that it worked, they really like to bring their bigs up high. Yeah. And so a lot of teams, their response to, if they have a slow-footed center, how do you hide that guy? Oh, you drop him back. You have him play super close to the rim. The other way to do that is to bring them out high and hedge or trap. And that's what the Nuggets did. And if you're going to do that, Sometimes it's really important to have another big body who can protect the rim behind the big yes, who's coming yeah. up. He definitely gave him that. Mason gave him and that. And that's why it worked with Plumlee. Yeah. And also Plumlee is a really good passer. You yeah. know, you just sort of have... Everybody on this team's a good passer. At yeah. least a half-decent passer. Everybody's capable of doing it. But when you say, like, they can make up for it if Jokic misses a couple of weeks because they have good front court depth, I actually think that misses the point because they use Jokic like a guard. Of course. And of course. they don't really have a traditional point guard on this team. No. And the reason that works Monty is Morris because is Jokic, is, Jokic yeah. is basically one of the best point guards in the league. Legit, he just yeah. happens to be doing it in a seven-footer's body. And he can do a lot of other big man stuff too, yeah. which was what makes him so phenomenal. Without him, I think they'd be in tough because like, everything they do revolves around him. But so long as he, avo- like, he doesn't miss a ton of time... I just think this team is so well built. Like I see them as being solidly mid fifties and wins, yeah. and and I think no, I really like no, the over defense, on fifty two and a half. I'm only talking a couple weeks here, right? <laughs> if he misses long term, that's that's different. But uh, yeah, like Jamal Murray's taking a huge leap. If he could take that like, small steps a little bit more, you know, he's got he's got a few things to work on, especially defensively, where he's kind of a disaster at times. You know, he he's a he's a future star in the league. I love Gary Harris. I think anybody that appreciates just genuinely good basketball loves Gary Harris. Absolutely. He and he was so, playing so well at the start of last season, like before yeah, he got injured, yeah. which really railroaded his season, but he was playing great. So good. And he's such an elite defender, and he's such a perfect guy to plug in next to a guy like Jamal Murray, who lets him do his crazy stuff offensively because he's not going to disrupt it. But defensively, he makes up for so many of his problems. And, I mean, Will Barton, if he gets back to where he was, he's still a solid player. Like, I, I'm, I'm not crazy about Will Barton, but he's not a bad fit. They should try and trade Will Barton. Like, I if he has any trade value, like, yeah. the fact that they got Jeremy Grant. First of all, Jeremy Grant, great pickup. So good. They really needed, I think, that kind of athleticism, yeah. that kind of multi-positional defense, because you can plug him in as a perimeter defender or an interior defender. Yeah. He can protect the rim. Like, he can switch basically one through five, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he just makes them more versatile on that end. And I think they need that because as much as, you know, you look at their personnel and you're like, wow, I mean, I don't know how this team managed to put together a top 10 defense last year, which they did. Yeah. Uh, Millsap is a huge part of that. But Millsap's of getting older. Yeah. And the, I think that some of the problems they ran into is, you know, they didn't have a ton of different ways that they could play at that end of the floor. And now they do. You know, they can throw Grant in there and suddenly they can be a switch team. They can be a trap team. They can be a drop team. They can be any kind of defensive team that they want. Yeah. And that also gives them Millsap insurance, whether it's him getting hurt or whether they decide, like, he's the guy that they can trade because he's got that nice fat salary. Like, if they wanted to, let's say they decide they want to trade for Chris Paul. Yeah. 
or Kyle Lowry. Paul Millsap's those salary yeah. matches, matches up perfectly. You know, pretty nicely yeah. for both of those guys. So that gives them a little bit of insurance yeah. there where maybe they, they have a trade to make. If, uh, if Michael Porter can be yeah, Michael healthy. Porter. Like, as, a, as a fan of basketball, you never want to see a kid get hurt. Like you don't want to see yeah. anybody go through injuries. If he could just be healthy, I just want to see what he's capable of. If he, I would like to see him play a single NBA just, minute, that's it. I just want to see it happen because they're, I they're keep hearing about how amazing he's going to be. Speaking but. so highly of him right now, and they're saying so many great things, and they're guaranteeing he's going to be a part of the rotation. And it like it makes you want to get excited. As you know, he didn't even play; he barely played any minutes in college. You know, he suffered. Yeah, that what injury. did he play? Six games? He no, not even. He suffered that injury how two minutes into his college career yeah. in his freshman year. Two minutes in, he didn't play again until his second last game. He played two games, extremely injured. So did not. He looked like a two shell games. of what we expected. So yeah. like we can pretty much say two games, right? But if he can come in and be that spark plug early as as a rookie, you know, he can give them some instant offense off the bench. It'd be nice. And then, you know what? Sooner rather than later, he might be the starting small forward. You're looking at a potential lineup in the future of Murray, Gary Harris, uh, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, and Nikola Jokic. That's a nasty future team, but we're talking about them succeeding now. And that's exciting for the Nuggets. Like, they shouldn't have championship expectations, but getting that 55 to 60 win, uh, that's very uh, plausible. I see it happening. I, I think so, too, and that's why I feel good about this over. I just... This team is deep at every position and that's the kind of team that wins a ton of games oh, in the yeah. regular season oh yeah um they they just have insurance at every spot and um shooting i, I think defense like their bench was awesome last year that was, was a huge part of what made them successful and i don't see that changing this year yeah. monty um, morris was awesome for them last year too right monty morris was amazing malik so beasley good. was malik great Beasley was phenomenal for them last year um and Plumley as well. Yeah, Plumley, like people sleep on Plumley, but yeah. like he's got a lot of skills that make him a, a super valuable yeah. bench piece. So people laugh when he was uh, he was named to the Team USA roster. It's like he was named for a reason. He's always there. <laughs> he's always around. I mean, as, <laughs> does he deserve that's, it? That that still Is, says more about the state of USA sure, basketball sure. than it does about. But he's been on the team in the past, right? And he's been successful on the team. He's right. he's a solid player. He gives you what you need. Um. All right. So I think we've done four each. Who yes. is your fifth? Um, lock. Um, the Homer pick, oh, the one that you love so much. Don't you do love it, man. It so much. Don't don't do it. The Miami Heat will win over forty three and a half games. Okay, why? So, what happened two years ago? Goran Dragic, their best player, Goran Dragic, who was not, who shouldn't have been an All Star that year, should have been an All Star the year before that, who took a pretty steep drop that uh, that year and took another one this past year. They won 44 games with Whiteside being a headache without a real center backing them up. There were so many issues with that team and they won 44 games. Last year, they dealt with a ton of injuries. They were not healthy at all. If they can get remotely healthy, and I know it sounds weird, but if you have a healthy Deion Waiters, it's not the worst thing in the world. Not the worst thing. Bam is a legitimate most improved player of the year candidate. That I agree with. That you agree with. And Jimmy Butler, people forget, Jimmy Butler was the best player on a team that almost knocked off the NBA champions. Can you debate this? He was terrific in that series. He was, but he was, he was also surrounded by a ton sure. of complimentary talent. Sure. And was Butler the best player in that series? Like, I, I know so. that he was the guy who at the end of games was being asked to create a shot. Who was but better than Butler? Was Embiid? I think so. Embiid had like four terrible games. They were not terrible games. Like, he was bad offensively. He was dealing with some injury stuff. Sure. He was sick. He was kind of all over the place. And 
you know, definitely offensively a disappointing mm-hmm. performance sure. for him. He was a monster defensively. He was, 100%. And, it, you know, to just say, like, Butler was the guy who almost got them past the eventual champions. The main guy. That is so reductive <laughs> because they're not even remotely in that series if it's not for Embiid's defense. Sure. And I think vice versa as well, though. I think they're not in that series without yeah. Jimmy Butler. No, that's probably true yeah. as well. But look, they were a plus 90 with Embiid yeah. on the floor in that series. Yeah. Seven games, a plus 90 with him on the floor in a Embiid's series they I'll give you lost. That. I'll give you that. Embiid's pretty good. I'll admit that. I just think now you're giving the Miami Heat. You don't have finally, to sell me on Jimmy Butler. I know Jimmy course, Butler is amazing. Okay, but you're giving him. So you're putting him on a team that won 44 games a couple years ago, 39 in a year that was pretty much a wash, just because you're like, all right, screw it, let's just let Dwayne Wade do whatever he wants. Where the team was dealing with a bunch of injuries and just so many rotational issues because they didn't find the proper fits. They have a they have a solid bench now. They have hopefully Justice Winslow starting at the point what, guard. What, who, which who's on the solid bench? What, do you what, mean? what what solid bench are we talking about? Please don't disrespect Derek Jones Jr. for a second. All right, like, <laughs> no, they got a solid bench. They got Myers Leonard now, which is fine. Oh my god! Uh, if Goron's coming off the bench, that's a terrific. I think that's the right move Dude, to make. I'm real. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Myers Leonard is not good. Just wait up for a second. He's Let not. Finish. Let me finish. He's bad. If you're playing on 15 minutes a game, that's a bad thing. Yes. Come on. Are you kidding me? He gave the Blazers some solid minutes last year during the playoffs. He had one magnificent game where he dropped 30 points, <laughs> I right. think, in their you're elimination bringing, game. But you're bringing Goran off the bench. You're playing Goran 20, 25 minutes. Myers Leonard is one of the worst front court defenders in the NBA. Sure, he's a horrific defender. But you're not relying on him to be an elite defender for you. You're relying on him to be a half-decent <laughs> offensive player to give Bam a rest. That's all it is. You have Tyler Hero coming in, who should be a solid rookie, giving you some spacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Derek Jones Jr., who was an elite defender last year. I, people, I feel like people don't realize this. Derek Jones Jr. Because nobody did, watches the Heat. Of course. Because they're a drag to watch. To. People need to. Derek Jones Jr. was an elite defender last year. Anytime he played, they'd run that three, they'd run that three-two zone, and he was at the top of the zone. He was outstanding. They ran a in that lot position. of zone last they year. They did, and it was effective. It worked for them. Uh, and then, I mean, you still have James Johnson, who's fine. James Johnson is still an effective basketball player. And that starting lineup, you have spacing on the starting lineup. You have solid ball handlers on the starting lineup. If you're going Justice Winslow, Deion Waiters, Jimmy Butler, Kelly Olynyk, and Bam Adebayo, that's a strong starting lineup. It's not, you can't say that's an under. That's not weak enough to win 49 or 41 games. That's probably going to be a 45-win team. I think that's pretty safe. No, you have not convinced me that this team is going to go on. over 43 Come and a half. On. And you have Eric Spolstra. You Spolstra's. listed a bunch of players. You said, these guys are decent players, but you I don't... You have Eric Spolstra. No, I believe there in Spolstra, man. And How do you feel about Kelly Olenek? I like Kelly Olenek. Like, I like a lot of these guys. It's just like the secondary talent is very lacking. And like, is, is Jimmy Butler going to play point guard? Justice Winslow's there. Here's the thing with Justice. He's outstanding as a, as a point guard in transition. He is elite sure. and he's learned how to finish and he's figured out that spot up jump shot he's shooting around 38 percent now that's a big difference from what we were talking about from a couple years ago we were shooting like 20 something percent he just did not look like he had okay it. but that's a one season sample like we'll we'll see i guess and if that carries over he shot what 40 percent the year before that he's been solid for them and now he's finishing well too my biggest fear was never shooting with justice winslow was finishing at the rim can he continue to finish? I don't know. But from the looks of it, it's looking good so far. So you have him and J- you have him and Jimmy Butler handling the offense, and Deion Waiters can give you some sort of scoring. So you have solid guys, and plus that defense, no matter what, no matter how you feel about the offense, the defense is going to rank in the top 10. That's almost a guarantee. Yeah, what did they, they finished the top 10 last year. They yeah. were like 7th, I think. Yeah. 
And that's, um, that's probably going to happen again. So here's the case that I would make for Miami. Jimmy Butler is awesome. I, I really like Bam. And I think now that Whiteside's gone, there's been so much role fluctuation for him, I think, the last couple of years. And I think that job is just going to be solidly his. And they're going to say, look, go run with this. Well, show us, not gonna replace show us what you can do. <laughs> no, but I mean, Olenek. Look, they, they, <laughs> yeah. they like to go with Olenek at the five sure. from, like, you know, from time to time. And he's still effective in that role, without a doubt. But I think the full intention is to bring on Bam as like a 30, 35-minute guy. 35 steep. Might be steep, yeah. Pushing a little but bit. But 30 like, minutes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I can see that. And you said, you know, he could be a most improved candidate. I definitely see that because mm-hmm. with the increased minutes load and just like his ability, like I really like what he brings t- to the table just like as a as a defender, as a passer, as a rebounder. Um, so many of the soft skills to go with just like that incredibly solid frame. Yeah. I, I think make him a really exciting prospect. So that, he is the guy that I think raises their ceiling. Sure. And I think they have a high floor because of all the things you mentioned, all the competent guys that they have, um, guys who are going to defend and guys who can handle the ball and who can pass. And obviously Eric Spolstra, like a, a team coached by him with a star player like Jimmy Butler is never going to win fewer than like 36 games, right? Yeah. I just think the range of outcomes for them is very small. Mm-hmm. They have a high floor and a low ceiling. I, the, I just don't, see like my, my biggest so the complimentary talent you know you know i watch a lot of heat games obviously yes um, i do my biggest issue with them last year was they just couldn't close games ever mm. miami was the team that would take a 20 point lead and just completely destroy teams on the defensive end they wouldn't let them score anything they wouldn't let them do anything and they're just their offense would collapse their offense couldn't do anything they don't have a guy to just give the ball to and say just go and that team who blew like 20 double digit leads last year now has a guy to just say yo but Go every team buckets. blew 20 double-digit leads last year. That's but just what happens today, like in today's NBA. For Miami, it was damn embarrassing. But now you have a, but you got to look at it as now you have a guy that can at least put you over the edge and say, all right, we got a guy that we can give the ball to and just go. Last year, they were doing that with 37-year-old Dwayne Wade. Yeah, uh, I don't think you've quite convinced me there. But um, <laughs> I tried. I tried but, my but, best. But respect to you for the rampant homerism, as always. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> We love you for it, man. I I uh, I'm gonna move on to my last. I don't I don't feel good feeling like calling these locks. I actually think the lines are all pretty good. Agreed. And so I feel you know more confident in some of these than I do in others. But uh, my last one is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Warriors at 49 and a half. I have a ton of faith in Steph Curry, but. Until Clay Thompson comes back, and I, like, you know, I'm hearing all kind of different things about when he's going to be back, and some people are saying it's like going to be a five month recovery, which seems crazy. And, you know, he might only miss a quarter of the season, in which case I will happily revise this prediction. But I'm sort of expecting that he's going to miss at least half of the season and maybe more. And without him, I don't have a ton of faith that this D'Angelo experiment is going to work out the defensive end of the floor would be a huge concern for me. And I just like Draymond is so good in his role, but I think that like, he's just going to be asked to do a little bit too much at both ends of the floor. And, and like when Steph's on the bench, I like, I understand like you can kind of stagger his minutes with D'Angelo, right? And like, and, and Russell can run the offense. That's the only way to do it. But I just like they need a third. Need there's a third just not handler. enough talent there right yeah. now, and like until Clay comes back, 
50 wins just feels like too steep to me. I don't know. Am, am I wrong? Um, I, I actually agree with you. I just, my big thing is I don't know how to feel about ever giving Steph under 50 at this point, but I, I mostly agree with you. He really um, is that good. Like, yeah. He's, he's so outstanding. And I, I will say, I, I could still see the Warriors being like the best offense in the league. Yeah. You know, like they, to me, should still be firmly in the top five yeah. at that end. I just, defensively, I don't know how it's going to work. Like, I don't know who the small forward is. Who's going to be starting at the three right now? It has to be McKinney, right? I don't know who else. Yeah, McKinney or like Alec Burks. Yeah, like I guess you can start Alec Burks. Who's I don't Omari know Spellman? Man, like Spellman's a four or five. Like Jacob Evans. <laughs> Jacob Evans is more. Is of Spellman a, a four one, or five? Two. Isn't he like six eight? Yeah, but he's like he's a hefty six eight. Right. Yeah, he's a big so, boy. He's, he's a big, big boy. Yeah. I guess we haven't seen too much of him. McKinney, they got they they have like a lot of guys, right? Yeah. Like I guys just, that, they can give you 10, 15 They're minutes. all replacement yeah. level guys. They're all, they're all like, yeah, we could be a third small forward for you. We could be a fourth wing. Right. Uh, but like, so when when uh, Russell or Steph sit and you got to run with one of them, those Russell minutes are going to be an absolute disaster, I think. Uh, Steph at least competes defensively. Uh, he's not like the strongest defender, obviously, but... If you're going to let his backcourt mate be D'Angelo Russell, he's going to be exposed significantly more, unfortunately. Uh, there's just there's too many flaws defensively. Uh, I do love the pickup of Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, but while we said one thing about him is, weirdly enough, I feel like he's going to be that one guy that gets paid cheaply, and he's going to be the starting center on a championship team one day. I don't know when it is, but he seems like that kind of guy. Mm. He defend every position. He finishes at the rim pretty well. Like All in all, I think he's a terrific player. Uh, and I, I like the fit on this team. The issue is some other places that just don't seem to make sense with this roster. Yeah. Collie Stein uh, is indicative to me of this era where there is just a glut of centers. Yeah. Who you can kind of plug into a team that already has a lot of shot creation. Yes. And a lot of playmaking where you don't need them to do too much aside from set screens, roll to the rim finish he has the potential to be you know play defense like you just slot him right in there and he's fine and there are so many guys like that and that's why he's getting paid the minimum and i think he should be getting paid more than that and i think getting him for the minimum was a really nice piece of business for the warriors but i did that the kings were making a big mistake by letting him go but that's just my personal opinion well they their front court is stocked i know but it's with guys that don't really have the same kind of defensive potential as him they're gonna be hurting on the defensive end but that's that's a king's conversation i guess yeah, I mean, I think Willie Collison is better defensively in theory than he is in reality. Sure. Um, he definitely has the tools, but situation. he might help the Warriors offensively more than he helps them defensively. Interesting. Um, I mean, they, did, they do just need to have like a big body or rim protector back there mm-hmm. for when Looney's on the bench. Because um, they don't really have anybody else to do that. Yeah. I mean, obviously they have Draymond, but uh, they can't really play Draymond at the five because they don't have any wings to fill everything oh, in. So, brutal. yeah. <laughs> You know, what I'm a little concerned about as well is, so I, I kind of like those. So now that we're done with Kevin Durant, I used to, I, I really like those minutes where Draymond Green is the guy that brings the ball up. Draymond Green is the initiator. And those might be gone because now you have two guys that need the ball in their hands. Like I like Steph off the ball and I like that fit offensively with him and Russell. I think that might be some fun. I think it'll be exciting to see Steph like roll off screens and like D'Angelo's a good enough passer to hit him. And D'Angelo's a good enough guy to at least go make his own offense. But Steve Kerr loves to take the ball out of Steph Curry's he hands. He loves it. It's his favorite thing to do. Uh, but I'm going to kind of miss those minutes for Draymond. Like, what does Draymond do for you offensively now? And this pickup might hurt him there because Clay well, he's never still, took the ball out of his He's hands. still going to be your four-on-three guy. Like, sure. you don't lose that. Definitely. And, definitely. and that is where he makes his bones. Sure, sure. But I just, I, I just don't know how else you plug him in in the half court. And I, it just, 
I'm not even, that's not even the reason why I hate the Russell pickup. It's right. mostly defensively, but that's one thing that I'm a little concerned from Draymond, who, who seemed to take a major step back last year, who just didn't seem to care about the regular season. Is he going to be motivated now? Are we going to talk about those intangibles? He will be. Like, be. First thing, contract year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Count, contract year, Draymond's going to be an outstanding player, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Second thing, I, I think just like knowing how Draymond Green operates, yeah. I think he's really going to embrace this challenge. Sure. And, I mean, I guess we'll see, really, whether he can still ramp it up to that level over the course of an 82-game season. Because the last time we saw him do that was 2015-16, when they yeah. won 73 yeah. games, and he brought it every single night, like a maniac. Yeah. Um, can, he, can he still do that? Uh, because, like, they need him to. Yeah. You know, and if they have even a league average defense, I think it'll be one of the crowning achievements of his career. And he was going to get himself paid. So we'll see what contract year Draymond can do. But I, I can see a number of different paths to them getting to that you know, 50-plus win mark. And one of them to me is flipping D'Angelo Russell for a guy like, you know, whether it's Robert Covington, whether it's, say, Aaron Gordon, you know, yeah. to, you know, pick another team that needs a point guard. And just balancing out their roster a bit better. And then Clay comes back healthy. And suddenly, you know, maybe they rip off a huge second half run. Like, I can totally see that happening. They're the kind of team that, that could very well get, like, uh, they'll win, like, 30 out of 32 or some weird stuff like that, right? Yeah. Like, But so much as, depends on what Clay looks like course, when he comes back, and, when he comes back. you need him to come. He's, his shooting's going to be fine. I'm a little more concerned about the defensive end. But if you're plugging in Clay at the three, I would, and that's the full 82-game season, they're, they're definitely a 50-win team. I think they're fine if that's the case. I just think the lack of depth on the perimeter might kill them. Just losing Clay is just too big. Uh, yeah, I, without him, like they're just so thin on yeah, the wing. Like yeah. it's crazy how thin they are. I I, I do like Alec Burks. Um, I think he's fine. Yeah, but, as like a twelve to fifteen minute a game I agree. guy, and that's the exact thing. That's exactly it, right? He's I don't a, like him he, as much. He's more an than exactly that. replacement level yes, player, and yes. the same is true of Glenn Robinson the third and like the, Alfonso the McKinney. Issue, the issue is Alec Burks being your third best wing is the issue. You do not want that on a 50 win team. Like that's not going to give you 50 wins because like Jacob Evans, who I, who was a solid prospect in college. He played well at Cincinnati. He's a good defender. Uh, he's a good playmaker as well. He's not, I don't know if he's, we don't know if he's ready to play or if he's even an NBA player. Uh, we don't know. Like we know what, we kind of know what Glenn Robinson is. Uh, he's not very good. He's again, like a guy that could just throw out there on occasion, but I'm definitely terrified of their, of their perimeter situation. I don't know how you replace clay. You simply, you can't with this roster at least. Yeah. Just, uh, I think their offense is going to be excellent. Yeah. And I just don't know if their defense is going to be good enough to get them to that 50 win plateau. Watching them play against a team, like compared to how they, how they played uh, Portland, for instance, last year where they were able to shut down and slow down CJ and, uh, and Dame at times, you're not going to see the same thing this year. They're going to struggle against that kind of perimeter uh, talent. Yeah. Cause they just, they, like, like I said, Steph's a fine, like he's an okay defender. He's not horrific in any way, but like he was attacked because they had so many good defenders on that team. Now Russell's the guy that's going to get attacked. You have nobody to kind of save yeah. Steph. That, that's the silver lining, right? It's yeah. like Steph will be like, oh man, I don't, I don't have to be targeted every yeah, time down yeah. the floor. I'm not going to be the guy they're getting buckets on no more. Like there are multiple guys they can target <laughs> before they target Steph. Very true. Um Anyway, I, I'm like fascinated to see all of these teams that we've talked about. Uh, I just think there are so many um, teams that I, I find are like kind of hard to project, and oh, I just want to see what they look like when they get on the floor together. Uh, 
Because like I said before, the league has just changed so much. There's so much roster turnover and so many of these teams uh, that have kind of overhauled their rotation. Definitely. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. But uh, we've been going on long enough, so let's uh, let's stop it there. Will we got a game to get ready for in a couple hours? Um, let's go get this bread. Um, <laughs> so I will talk to you soon, and uh, to our listeners, I will hopefully be back sometime next week as Cash continues to languish on his vacation. But uh, until then, take her easy.